Welcome to Two Marks in a Mic podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. Today we're going to talk about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What are your, what's your take on the dragon? Man, well, so obviously, he's first off, he's super marketable. Uh, and a lot of the gimmicks that they've given him, too. They said, like, his, his action figures, because, you know, he was kind of marking over, like, Bruce Lee types at the time. And that was an easy transition to that. In general, though, man, he's just... He was a great face. I mean, still is a great face. He still makes, you know, appearances because he still works with WWE. And He was actually given the Steamboat moniker from Eddie Graham because there was a guy who came through. His name was Sam Steamboat. And the reason they changed his name was because his real name being Richard Blood, that's definitely a heel name. And it was uh, Jack Briscoe was the one that brought that up. And he said, um, it's, you know, he's a good-looking kid. He's in great shape, but... He'd make a great He face. was a monster. Yeah. You yeah. don't even realize it because when he made his, uh, I mean, the, obviously, like, I knew of him, like, in the WrestleMania three days, you know, later on. But when he first came into WWE, you didn't realize how big he was in the early days. Even going back, looking at this documentary, it was, he was, oh, man, well, I never knew that. Well, he, he was trained by Vern Gagne, and Vern Gagne's camp was known. It was 10 weeks of just being brutalized. It was like you start with 500 hack squats and 1,000 push-ups, and then you, then you do uh, 21 flights of stairs and another 21 flights of stairs with, do, with carrying somebody on your back. And I get winded taking an elevator up 21 I, floors. Yeah, me too. So anyways, you know, he said that he went in at, at 240 pounds, and he was shredded. And then he got out. He was 210, so he lost, he lost like or 204. Right, he got a lot leaner. He got a lot leaner. So, but yeah, he was he was billed from Hawaii because he's you know he's half Japanese. His mom was Japanese. His dad was American. He was an army guy, and so they they used that to their advantage. So the martial arts aspect and stuff. But there was nothing that this guy couldn't. Just a natural athletic talent, and he's also one of the few wrestlers that never. I mean, as far as I can tell, he he never had. He never got caught in the traps of pro wrestling. Sure. His style, I mean, he was, like, very well balanced. He was a little bit of everything. He was a high flyer. He was technical. He'll grapple. I mean, he was powerful in his physique. He was just, I don't know I said already, but just so so marketable right. as a face. Well, not to knock on Lex Luger, but I think Ricky Steamboat was actually the real total package. Well, sure. And he sure. could do everything. You know, sure. Because you know, when he was in high school, he played all sorts of sports. He did basketball, football, amateur wrestling. He actually had no aspirations to be a wrestler. But he, he was actually said he wanted to be a policeman or a fireman. Yep. Somehow his girlfriend got hooked up with Vern Gagne's daughter. And uh, next thing you know, he's going up to Vern Gagne's camp and getting trained. And, and he starts at uh, Florida Championship Wrestling where he starts wrestling the Briscoes. And the big storyline that I remember with him is the Randy Savage one. Oh, yeah. Where he did the elbow drop with the bell and the crushed larynx. I mean, there was some crappy acting back then. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But that was back in the hokey hero era, you know? Yeah, and... But honestly, it has gone down as one of the most memorable Intercontinental Championship matches in not just WrestleMania, but in just wrestling history. Yeah, uh, I know. think for WrestleMania Intercontinental matches, there's two for me. There's the Savage and Steamboat and the Razor and Sean ladder match mm. at WrestleMania 10. Those two matches are yeah. synonymous with excellent wrestling. Just, I mean, they were... One thing they always said with that match in particular was you have Savage can go... And Steamboat can go. Yeah. And, and you know, they, and the stamina on them was incredible. I mean, they said that he would have, I know we'll eventually get into the flare matches, but, I mean, he, they said he's gone hours at a time. They used to have these crazy time limit matches, mm -hmm. and they used to just go. Yeah, it, it was nothing for them to do a full Broadway, which, you know, what you said before, is a full hour. They, Flair and Steamboat, I mean, we'll just go ahead and get into it. They started wrestling in Mid-Atlantic, which which eventually transitioned into WCW. Right. Um. And they had classic, classic matches. And, and they wrestled all the time. And, and it was stiff. nothing. Yeah. 
I think back then it was, I mean, for them to get warmed up was a 30 minute match. Sure. And then they would get going at 30 minutes and just keep going. But, you know, after he did his singles, his initial singles run in WCW the first time, he teamed with, I think his name was Jay Strong, yeah. Jay Youngblood. And then they got along really well. They traveled together, but that eventually ran its course and he wanted to go back into singles. And then he got called up at WWE the first time and things went well and he was doing great. And he had, you know, he had all those great matches. He had a great match with Savage and stuff. And then he came, and then his first son or his only son was going to be born and he wanted to take some time off. And he was the reigning intercontinental ta- champion at that time. And like, well, you got to drop the belt if you're going to take this kind of time off. And he's, and that was the only thing I'll disagree with him on was that he wanted to keep the belt while he was off. Yeah. I don't, uh, that's not, that's not good business because you can't hold up a title for eight months or ever how long you're going to be gone. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, but that when he left that time, that's when he transitioned back into mid Atlantic, which was, which wasn't quite WCW yet. And he was able to pick up his, uh, his feud with flair. And then in 91, the, the latter part of 91, he came back to WWE as the dragon where he's breathing the fire and mm-hmm. all that. And then he left again because they were waiting for a main event slot to open. Didn't happen, didn't happen. And he's like, you know, I'm going to give you... And he gave him notice, and then he went back to WCW. With Flair, I, that was just a crazy feud because no matter what alliance or federation they went into, whatever territory, they were able to pick it back up. How stiff they were the first time when Flair shoved his face down the concrete <laughs> and like that, all this crazy stuff, and they were yeah. able to build an awesome, like, fiery feud off that. Yeah, it was great. I mean, there was... He took some bumps, He did. You know? the, the one bump that comes to mind is that... Jake? D, yeah, that DDT. <laughs> yeah. And I, we, had, we had approached that on the Jake the Snake Roberts episode where he didn't get his hands out in time. And he had a... It was bad. I mean, the edema mm-hmm. on his forehead, and then he had the black eyes. And Jake said that he didn't get... Uh, his, his eyes didn't get black until three weeks after. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they milked that for what it's worth, and they, they got a good program. Yeah, and on that uh, DDT, Jake said that that was, he was the heaviest thing he ever lifted in his life because that's how out he was. But from there, they just had feuds, and they, they worked for a long time together with just yeah. matches all over. I think Steamboat said that Jake was one of his favorites. I could see that, too. So as of late 1991, he was undefeated in, uh, in WWE, and I guess he was just feeling super, you know, he wasn't getting the proper push that he felt he deserved. He just didn't feel like they were using him properly. And, and that's the one thing I'll say about Steamboat. Whenever he needed to do something for himself or whatever, he never hesitated. You have to think about it in terms of, of what's best for him. Yeah, I think also 91 was a big transitional period. You know, that's kind of when, like, Hogan was kind of fading out a little bit, and, and they're starting to kind of explore different avenues of who to, you know, push. And, you know, and then you got Davy Boys coming in there, and they got some newer, younger faces coming in. And so I think he just came in in a very odd time. And they he came in, they rebranded him with the Fire Breathing Dragon, like you had mentioned, and the whole garb, and it was cool. And then it just kind of fizzled. Like, he just mid-card fizzled. Ah, and yeah, so he they did um, have him on television be undefeated, and he had like a dark match that he lost against Skinner, and apparently after that's when he gave his notice. So right. it must have been for, you know, for the lack of the push, which I kind of get. Yeah, I mean, I kinda, it was just a weird time. And also, I mean, you got to think about it too. His in-ring ability never changed. No, but the product was changing. And Vince probably didn't know what to do with him at the time. Mm. And, and he wasn't getting any younger at that point. No, he was I already mean, in know, his 40s at that point. Still can, you know, keep oh. in shape. And even now when he makes, you know, Royal Rumble guest appearances and stuff, I mean, he still is in great shape, well, that, you know. that match at WrestleMania, whatever it was with Jericho, it, yeah. was, it was him, uh, 
Flair, uh, Roddy Piper, and Snuka. Pa- Flair had already retired, so it was like 2009. He basically carried that match mm. with with him and Jericho. I agree. So at that, he was in his late 50s at that point, mm-hmm. or mid 50s, and he could still do it. His last match was with Stunning Steve Austin, aka Stone Cold Steve Austin. What ended his career, or his active career, I should say, was they were on the rope and he fell. And when he landed, he landed like like you're sitting down in a chair. Mm. And instead of landing flat on his back. So what happened was, is when he landed on his butt, it compressed some discs in his mm. back. And instead of, you know, pressing on and causing more damage, and he's like, you know what? I'm in my 40s. I'm happy with my career. I'm done. And then, you know, which is, which is rare mm. to have that self-awareness and to be like, hey, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. My ego is in check and I'm still relatively healthy. Let me get out of here. Yeah, he definitely had the, a very sound mind. And at that point, you know, he was happy with what he had accomplished going on in the in the 80s. And, you know, I, well, you know what more can you do at that yeah. point? I mean, you know, he, he never got the WWF Heavyweight Championship. Which I don't think he really, I mean, he wanted that eventually, but he got, he scratched that itch in WCW. Yeah. And then, you know, he was, he was tag champion in WCW with Dustin Reynolds. He was a tag champion with Jay Youngblood. Back in the old Mid Atlantic days, you know, he and he was IC. He was one of the greatest IC champions. And I would have loved to see another IC push with him in '91. You yeah. know, I mean, there's no reason why, you know, at that point you got to think. Well, I guess because '91, I mean, uh, you still had. Well, no, because uh, Warrior had just won the belt at that point, so the IC champion at that point, God, I don't remember. What I think was it was Honky Tonk because he because he dropped the belt to Honky when he left. Yeah. Excuse me, Honky Tonk. You can't say Honky anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You would think in the era where they were putting it on the Mountie or they were putting it on random people before they pushed Brett, you know, uh-huh. I think he could have fit in and I think he could have. Could you imagine the, the if it happened, the match between him and Brett? Yeah, so then he became a, you know, ambassador for WWE. I believe that started in 2011. He was inducted in the 2009 Hall of Fame. Uh, so, you know, well-deserved. Absolutely. If there, I mean, he said he was completely humbled by that experience. And uh, when they asked him, I guess they called him up and said, hey, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame. And he's like, he's like I broke down. It's, it's validation yeah. for all. And for, he, was in, he was in the business 20 years or more. So, you know, when he reached, it's like he said when he was the podium, this is my Oscar. This is what I've worked for, and this is why I'm glad I'm here. So I think that's really going to wrap this episode up. I know it's super short, but it's just he didn't have any real controversy in his career. and Well-respected and all around. Yeah. there's no. I don't think there's anybody that has a bad thing to say about the dude. That's going to do it for this episode of Two Marks and a Mic. Oh, why don't you tell him about our email and our... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So we have an email address now, which is 2, number 2, marksandamike at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. And Instagram. And Instagram. Same name. If you have anything you want to talk to us about, feel free to hit us up. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week. See you next week.